Hey, good day to you. I'm Carl Falk. This is the Falcon Around Podcast. Hope you're having a good Tuesday morning or whatever day it is that you are listening to this. Really, in my opinion, push the needle to Indianapolis. And what happened? Well, Colts get the ball first, drive down behind Jonathan Taylor, and they get an easy 7 to nothing lead. The Bills get it back. And here's where... This game, you could look at two ways. One, it's extremely concerning because the Bills got their ass kicked at home. Or you can look at a number of plays that changed the outcome of this game. And to me, I'm on the other side. Now, I'm going to get to some concerns at the end. But as far as this game goes, Colts lead 7-0. Bills get it back. They're driving down. Really nice drive. And they've got a situation where they're in position to get into the red zone. And then Cody Ford, yeah, that guy, Cody Ford, has an illegal motion penalty. They move back five yards. So now, instead of a ahead-of-the-stick situation, a manageable situation, it's definitely going to throw. Mitch Morse, yeah, that guy too. Not a very good player right now, Mitch Morse. Mitch Morse gets called for a holding penalty. And now it goes from manageable distance to you have no chance. And when you have no chance, you tend to call plays or make plays that you wouldn't ordinarily make. Josh Allen locks on, tries to force a ball, gets picked off. It's bad play, bad play, worse play. And and they're all a result of each other. Let's be honest. The Cody Ford penalty caused the Mitch Morse hold. The Cody Ford penalty that caused the Mitch Morse hold that caused the interception by Josh Allen. It's all cause and effect. The Colts get it back now because they picked off the pass. They go down and score. The Bills get it back, and they have a very good drive that leads to a touchdown. The Colts then get it back and kick a field goal. So it's 17-7 to at this point. The Bills aren't going to stop the Colts because they simply cannot handle that offensive line. Isaiah McKenzie drops the ball falling to the turf. I I still don't know what he did, how he did it, whatever happened, happened. The Colts pick it up, go to the two-yard. It's 24-7 at this point, and the Bills simply are, are done. This game is over. They could not stop Jonathan Taylor. They couldn't pressure Carson Wentz. Carson Wentz on the day was 11 for 20 for 160 yards. He was only hit two times. I'm not sure Jonathan Taylor was hit twice. Taylor had 32 carries for 184, 85 yards, four touchdowns on the ground, caught a touchdown pass from Wentz, dominated the game. What gets me, the 32 rushes. There was a stretch during the game where on 18 first and second downs, the Colts ran the ball 17 times. They didn't care. The Bills' defense is a very good defense when it comes to defending the pass. The Bills' offense is a very good pass offense. Those things play great when you're in the lead because when you're in the lead, the other team's got to throw. And when the other team throws, it plays into your hand. Unfortunately for the Bills, because they're not multiple on either side of the football. They can't stop the run. They struggled with it all year against some good teams and against some bad teams. But because their offense has bailed them out at times, 
and given them the lead, other teams have been forced to to pass the ball. So now you look at things and, and you see this team's shortcomings. And, and it starts, to me, up front, the defensive line. Even if Starr is there, Starr is one of the highest-paid players on the team, as is Jerry Hughes, as is Mario Addison. Addison actually played a pretty good game on Sunday. But Vernon Butler, who's very well compensated, was terrible. Harrison Phillips, terrible. Ed Oliver is the only defensive lineman who I'm going to say played a good game. And Ed Oliver, by the way, is turning the corner. I had a lot of doubts about him in his first two years in the league. But this year, you're seeing Ed Oliver take that next step. And he's becoming the player he was drafted to be. Tremaine Edmonds has looked better the last two weeks with A.J. Klein in the lineup. Because without Edmonds, they've struggled. And because Klein is not the athletic freak that Edmonds is, he's just not able to get to spots Edmonds can get to. But even with Edmonds on Sunday, I'm not sure what a difference it would have made. When the offensive line is moving the defensive line three yards back, and that's what was happening repeatedly on Sunday. You're not going to stop them. You're not going to get the ball back. And with the run game going, and I know this is a passing league, it's a quarterback league. I'm going to hear breaking news. You can still win football games by running the football. Have you noticed what San Francisco's done the last couple of weeks? They don't know who their quarterback is. Should it be Jimmy G or Trey Lance? They don't know the identity of their team. But guess what? They're running the hell out of the football. They did so against the Rams last week, and they did so against the Jags this week. Teams are running the football and winning football games. Go figure. You know why? Because teams like the Bills load up to defend the pass. They draft teams to, to play against the pass. They don't draft teams to play against the run. And because of that, you can't stop the run in your base defense, especially if you're a team like Indianapolis, who has a superstar in Fred Taylor, the best guard in the league in Quentin Nelson, and a very solid offensive line around them. It's a philosophical problem that the Bills have gotten themselves into. Now, the question is, can they get themselves out of it? And frankly, I think where the problem lies is the offensive and defensive lines of the Bills are simply not physical. And after the game, Sean McDermott was asked about that. Did you Do you feel you're a physical team? And he gave the, I feel we're physical. It was the least convincing answer he had all day. Because he's an old school football coach and he knows damn well they're not a physical football team. They're going to continue to get beat up by physical teams. And if you look at their schedule the rest of the way, Thursday, obviously, Thanksgiving, they play the Saints. The Saints are a very physical football team. This is a tough matchup. Going for the Bills, though, is the fact that the Saints have Trevor Simeon as their quarterback. He's not very good. So the Bills have a good chance, and they're going to likely be not facing Alvin Kamara, which helps them even more. But the Saints are a physical football team. And then two of the next four weeks, they play against the Patriots. I don't know if you've paid attention, because all anyone talks about is Mac Jones. But the Patriots are as physical of a football team as there is going right now. Christian Barrymore, the their first-round pick, I'm sorry, their second-round pick out of Alabama, 
has been everything they'd hoped for, and he's everything the Bills need on their defensive line. But they chose to go with a finesse player of Gregory Russo. Now, look, Russo's been nice. He's made some plays, even on Sunday, made a couple plays. But by and large, Russo's more of the same for the Bills, if you will. Uh, A guy who can rush the passer at times, but not a consistent threat to do so. He's not somebody who's strong at the point of attack, so he's likely to get pushed back. Whereas Barrymore is a physical defensive tackle who I feel would have been perfect long-term next to Ed Oliver. And the Bills missed that opportunity. Brandon Bean missed that opportunity. Obviously, we're in year one, so we'll see how this works out. But right now, looking at it, the Patriots are very physical and the Bills are not. And they play each other two of the next four weeks. Tampa is physical as it gets. Even without Vitavea. They still have Indomitian Sue in the middle of that defensive line. McClendon, the guy who came up with the interception, longtime physical defensive tackle there as well. Fortunately for the Bills, they close against Atlanta and the Jets. So of the next, and I should say the remaining six games on, the, or seven games on the schedule, the Bills, in my opinion, need to go 5-2 and two at worst. That that gets him in the playoffs at eleven and six. Five and two against the Saints on the road, the Patriots at home, Tampa on the road, Carolina, New England on the road, Atlanta and the Jets. So let's say you split with the Patriots. That's one and one. You split with the Saints and Tampa. That's two and two. That means you have to sweep Carolina. Atlanta and the Jets to go five and two. Possible. But right now, do you feel it's probable? Because I certainly don't. And a lot of the things after the game on Sunday, the discussion was did you pay Josh Allen too much? Is Josh Allen, did he get paid too quickly? Now, if you remember, if you've been listening to me, I didn't like that they extended him this offseason. If it was done so because of you, you know your ability to manage the cap, then I'm okay with it. But Josh Allen is still earning his money. If you compare this year's numbers to last year, last year was the breakthrough year. His numbers are down, but slightly. His completion percentage is down by 1.5%. His touchdown percentage is down by 1%. His interception Percentage is up by 0.3%. His quarterback rating is down by eight points. And again, he's had some stinkers this year that he didn't have last year. To me, Josh Allen's done what I expected. He played a decent game on Sunday. He made two terrible throws that were interception interceptions. He also had a fumble that was a huge play in the game. So those three plays were terrible. But the rest of the game, he played okay. Dawson Knox, who had six catches on the day, had four other balls that he should have caught. I don't know how many of them will officially go into the drop category, like the backhand option pitch throw that Josh had to him that hit him in the hands, didn't get that. Another one just flat out hit him between the eights, didn't catch that. Another one that was a little high, didn't catch that. Had a chance to make a catch on the outside. Didn't make that play. Cole Beasley had a play over the middle. 
Yeah, he had to catch it. It was high. Cole Beasley makes that catch nine out of ten times all the time. Sunday was one of those days guys didn't make plays for Josh Allen. Therefore, his numbers did not look all that good. Josh didn't have a statistically great guy throwing for only 209 yards. I mentioned the turnovers as well. What was interesting to me, too, though, was Matt Breida. Matt Breida got the ball six times. He ran it five times for 51 yards. He caught it once for 16. Matt Breida looked more like an NFL running back than Devin Singletary or Zach Moss has looked all year. Matt Breida should be the starting running back of this team, maybe not because of what he did Sunday, but because of what the other two haven't done all year, and they haven't taken control of that position. I know there's cause and effect. The offensive line is not good. Daryl Williams at guard is a problem. Darrell Williams at tackle is a bigger problem. Ike Bodiger is a solid backup offensive lineman. And I think if they get Jonathan Feliciano back, which should be back either against the Saints or the following week against the Patriots, if they get him back and Boker goes to the other guard or even to the bench because you're going to bring Brown back at tackle, I think the depth is better. But Cody Ford shouldn't be on this team. Uh, I hate to be that rude about it, but Cody Ford has no business playing guard for this team. He's just not a very good player. He's a complete miss as a second-round pick. And while I bring that up, you start to look at the other second-round picks over the last couple drafts. The last three years, second-round picks by Brandon Bean, who we all like Brandon Bean, and he has done a good job assembling this roster. But he's not without his warts. Cody Ford, bust. Second-round pick last year, A.J. Epinenza. Epinenza's had a couple games, namely the Miami game, the first Miami game, where he's looked fantastic. He's had many others that he has been a non-factor. This year's second-round pick is Boogie Boogie Basham. He's done very little to justify the fact that he's even on the roster. He's been inactive as many games as he's been active. So that's three years in a row in the second round. Brandon Bean has not gotten the job done with those second-round picks. And, you know, you look at the, the good Drafts that other teams have had, they're hitting home runs in the second round, third round. The Bills, they've got three guys that I don't think will get a second contract in the second round. And that, that's a troubling development. So there's a lot of blame to be put around. The third round drafts of the last couple of years, Singletary, he's not going to get a second contract. Zach Moss. He's not going to get a second contract. Spencer Brown looks better. Go back to Harrison Phillips. He's not going to get re-signed after this year. I I, I wouldn't think, unless you can get him on the cheap, which why would he? Somebody will pay him. But there's been a lot of misses. And, And the fact that the Bills have put so much of their financial and draft capital into that defensive line. Think about it. You've got a first-round pick in Oliver Rousseau. Jerry Hughes is one of the higher-paid players on the team, as is Mario Addison and Starla Tulele. 
You've got backups and second-round picks in Epidenza and Basham, as I said, and the third-round pick of Phillips. That's a lot of draft capital on that defensive line. And you know what the Bills need going into next season more than anything else? A defensive tackle. They're going to have to draft in either the first or second round another D lineman. Look at the offensive side of the ball. Deion Dawkins is locked up, and actually Deion's been playing good football. Mitch Morse is gone. He's one of the highest paid guys on the offensive side of the ball, probably third to Diggs and to Josh. Mitch Morse is gone, and, and it's, nobody's going to shed a tear when he walks out the door because he just hasn't been that good. He's been a guy. Cody Ford, I've mentioned. Daryl Williams, they gave a good amount of money to. He's not very good. So they've spent money. They've spent draft capital, but they haven't done so wisely. They haven't hit on those positions. And it's a, it's a very much concerning thing if you look at the team building going forward. Now, if I want to be an optimist, I say, look, Rousseau's flashed. He's going to take over for Addison to be the full-time starter. Hughes walks out the door this year. A combination of Basham and Appenenza playing there. You've got your three defensive end rotation. You're pretty good. That's optimism. I don't see a whole lot there because I don't see any results this year. I don't see a consistent pass rush from anybody. The other side of the coin is you've hit on Oliver, and I do believe that. I think Ed Oliver has shown us over the last four or five weeks that he's trending into a very big difference maker on the team. However, he needs help around him. So, again, it's all about team building and the philosophy that the Bills have chosen. And you look at the philosophy is we pass, we stop the pass. That's great. But you've got to be able to do the other. And they cannot run the football and they cannot stop the run. And that's going to be the thing that derails them if, in fact, this season ends without a playoff berth, which is very possible as we look at things through 10 games. It's not probable, but very possible. And I didn't think I'd be saying those words just a couple weeks ago. Heck, I thought this team would go 12-5. and five. I don't see them going 6-1 and one the rest of the year to make my prediction correct. I did have a concern on the offensive line going in. I did have a concern on the defensive line as well. Here's the other thing. I go back to the plays that change things. Defensively in the second half, there was a huge sack on a third down play by Ed Oliver. It's negated by a holding penalty. There was always something in this game that negated a good play. Nobody else... Nobody was making a play. Nobody's stepping up. Somebody's got to step up, whether it be Josh Allen or whether it be one of those defensive linemen or even Matt Milano. Somebody's got to make a play. And on Thursday, if things start to go poorly early, if they get run on early by Mark Ingram, then I think this again could go south. On Sunday, the Colts had the ball for almost 38 minutes. That's not a good sign. When you're the Bills, you've got to figure this out. It's something that Sean McDermott's got to put on himself. And look, everyone likes McDermott. McDermott. Everyone likes Bean. 
But on Sunday afternoon, at halftime of that game, Sean McDermott, McDermott should have thrown a chair through a window. He should have thrown a, a TV or pulled a TV off the wall. Do something. Because that's the second time in four weeks his team was not ready to play. And I'm not saying he's losing the team, but I think this team was complacent. Now, let's look at the Jags game. Played like crap down there. Embarrassed. They came back the next week with a very good effort. I expect and hope for the same on Thanksgiving night against the Saints. But right now, you got to question everything. You got to reevaluate everything. And they are in a situation looking up at the Patriots, two games remaining with the Patriots, and the Patriots' defense is playing a physical brand of football that the Bills simply cannot match. And I think the offensive line is going to get their asses handed to them by New England when they play them. It's just a matter of can the Bills do enough offensively and can they turn over the young quarterback, Mac Jones? It's going to be a heck of a game. Fortunately, McDermott's got 10 days to prepare for that game after the Saints game on Thursday night. So that is the Bills' Situation not good. I'm not ready to sound the alarm. I think if they eliminate the mistakes and the bad plays, then they can get things corrected. But this team and roster, because of the way it's designed and because of the personnel that they have, is going to be limited. And if they come against the wrong team in the playoffs, they are going to struggle. They can't face Indianapolis and beat them. Because they can't stop the run. And I'm not saying Taylor will have 180 yards in a playoff game. But I guarantee he has 28 carries in a playoff game against the Bills. And that's just a bad, bad situation. So teams that can run it will give the Bills all they can handle. Right now, there's a couple of those teams in the AFC that are starting to play football that way. I'm going to get to Tennessee in a minute. That's a little different story right now because of the loss of Derrick Henry. They've kind of lost their identity. But you've got to be able to run the football. You've got to be able to stop the run. The Bills can't do either. And until they do, I don't see this team being a championship roster. So that's the Bills story. And unfortunately, not a very good one. I mentioned the Patriots. On Thursday night of last week, the Patriots go and play Atlanta, and just kick the crap out of the Falcons. 25 to nothing was the final score. Mac Jones was good. I'm sorry, Matt Ryan was not. Ryan turned the ball over. The thing with the Patriots, not only is their offensive line back intact, they had a lot of injuries last year, their offensive line is very good. The running back group is pretty good, but they stick to the run, allowing Mac Jones to do things off of play action. But Matthew Judon, on this other side of the ball for the Patriots, who leads the NFL in sacks right now, was the best offseason signing. Patriots spent a bunch of money, got a lot of guys in, and, and they generally don't do that sort of thing. No signing this offseason was better than Matthew Judon. He's changed the identity of that defense and gives every offense they go against a guy you have to point at, know where he is, every snap of every game. 
he's that important. Patriots now seven and four and rolling. Again, that Monday night game in Orchard Park, it's going to be huge. I don't really like the way it looks right now, but things can change quickly. Let's face it, it's a week-to-week league. Carolina lost with Cam Newton at quarterback to the Reds, I'm sorry, to the Washington football team. Glad for Riverboat Ron Rivera. Good coach. Look, Ron Rivera knows what he's doing. Washington hasn't played great defense this year. I thought they'd be much better defensively. They've lost Chase Young to a ACL tear. It's unfortunate because, in my opinion, he's an absolute beast. But what they found is in Taylor Heineke, they've got a quarterback they can build around. Heineke, I don't think, is a guy who's ever going to be the best quarterback in the league. But sometimes you don't need the best quarterback in the league. You need a good quarterback who your team believes in, who can make plays when you need them to. And that's what Tyler Taylor Heineke is doing. He's getting the job done because his team believes in him. He's athletic. He can throw it. He's not great, but he is quarterback one in Washington. And for the first time in a long time, you look at this team and you look at all the guys they've gone through to get a quarterback I really do believe that Taylor Heineke is going to be their guy going forward. Speaking of quarterbacks, the Ravens and Bears game devolved into a quarterback-less battle. You expected to have Lamar Jackson against Justin Fields. Well, you had Tyler Huntley, yeah, household name, Tyler Huntley against Andy Dalton. And the Red Rifle looked like the Red Rifle, which isn't good for the Bears games. How, How bad are things? By the way, in Chicago, at a Chicago Bulls game, yeah, they're a basketball team, there was a fire naggy chant at the Bulls game. That's how bad things are in Chicago. It's just brutal. The Ravens getting that win is huge. Behind Huntley, expect to have Lamar Jackson back. Another illness. This is third time now. He doesn't have COVID. He's had COVID a couple times. But another illness keeping him out of action. Not sure if there's something to be concerned with. But Lamar Jackson's one of the very best players, in my opinion, in this league. I really think he is a great, great player. So hopefully he gets back on the field soon. The Browns won, I guess. They beat the Lions 13-10. to But here's the thing. When your quarterback is getting booed and your quarterback then kind of claps back at the fans, they always say, you know, it's time for a divorce. I think Baker Mayfield and the Browns, I think they both know it's time. I really do. It's a situation that Baker hasn't taken that next step. He's what he is. He's always going to be outspoken. He's always going to be a guy that's polarizing. Look, they moved Odell Beckham. They're getting back to running the ball. They had Chubb back this week. He ran the ball for over 100 yards again. But Baker, and I know he's hurt, not able to get things done. You see his wife there. Even she had some things to say about the fans. So Baker Mayfield was polarizing from the day he was drafted in Cleveland. I feel as though that divorce is coming. Oh, by the way, the Lions, who are the worst team in the league by far, they started Tim Boyle. Yeah, Tim Boyle. I I had to look it up because generally when you hear of a quarterback, you're like, yeah, I remember that guy. I've never heard of Tim Boyle in my life. 
in case you're wondering, he went to Eastern Kentucky University. Tim Boyle, good on you, Tim. You made an NFL start. I mentioned the 49ers got back to running the football. 37 rushing attempts for the 49ers against the Jags. That's two weeks in a row. They've run the hell out of the football. Now, Kyle Shanahan is getting a ton of credit for the offensive genius that he is, that he's running the football the way he is. Now, the 49ers are back to 500. Kyle Shanahan, the most overrated coach in NFL history, in my opinion, is finally learning that his team is very good at running the football, and it took him eight games to figure that out. So now he's a genius because he's figured that, that out. Eight games into the season. You didn't know you had the best left tackle in football in Trent Williams? You didn't see that? You didn't realize that? You didn't know that Debo Samuel is an absolute monster with the football in his hands and there are ways to use him besides hoping that Jimmy G could get to him? Yep, genius, Kyle Shanahan. He's fantastic. I'm going to be the president of his fan club one day. I really am. The Vikings and Packers played a great game on Sunday. This was really good. And you know what? I haven't mentioned this yet, but the NFL has an officiating problem, or rather a replay problem. Oh, yeah. The Packers have an interception that probably secures the victory for them that's overturned because, actually, I don't know why. It was an interception. It was all day an interception. But it was ruled incomplete, and the Vikings come back and get the win, 34-31, a walk-off win. The Vikings, I believe, have led every game by at least seven points this year. The only team in the league to do that. It's still way too early, in my opinion, to throw out MVP candidates. I know after Sunday, people are saying Jonathan Taylor's the MVP. The MVP changes every week. I actually saw the NBA's been going on for about an hour. I actually saw an NBA poll of who the leading MVP candidate is so far. Are you kidding me? It's way too early. It's too early in the NFL. But right now, throw Kirk Cousins' name in the mix for NFL MVP. He's having a great year. The Vikings are a team that people are going to have a problem with. They've got great wide receivers with Thielen and Claypool. Not Claypool. I'm sorry. Jefferson. They are outstanding wide receivers. Dalvin Cook when when he's healthy, is as good a running back as there is in the league. That's a tough team. They're going to run the football, but Kirk Cousins right now getting the job done in a big, big way. By the way, Aaron Rodgers' injury, he's got a toe injury. Joe Rogan's got a special formula. He's going to fix it up, Packer fans. It'll be fine. Don't worry about that. Uh, The Miami Dolphins played the New York Jets. Who watches that game? On Sunday afternoon with all these games going on, who sits down and goes, hey, Dolphins, Jets, Tua against Flacco, sign me up. Well, here's my takeaway from that game. Did you know that the Jets have two top five picks if the draft were to be held now? Two top five for the Jets. Question is, is Joe Douglas still allowed to make those picks? We'll see. The Saints played the Eagles, and uh, Philly put a 40-piece up on the Saints, and the Saints have a very good defense, but i got to say this about Philly, a team with three picks right now in the top 16 of next year's draft. You know what they won't be drafting? A quarterback. Because Jalen Hurts has taken that next step. 
the Eagles have given Hurts time to develop. Weird concept, I know. And he has. He is playing really good football right now and did so again on Sunday. Speaking of bad teams, the Houston Texans got a win on Sunday. They beat the Titans 22-13. The Titans without Derrick Henry are a completely different team. And Ryan Tannehill is being asked to carry the team. Not a good idea. Ryan Tannehill's a good quarterback when everyone's looking for the run, he can make the throws. Without everyone looking for the run, which nobody is, and he's asked to throw it 52 times, he's going to turn it over, and he did so. Four interceptions by the Texans of Tannehill on Sunday. I got to throw this in. Good for Tyrod Taylor. Tyrod was a good guy here in Buffalo, did some very good things here in Buffalo. And Tyrod, now that he's healthy, gets a nice win. I'm glad for Tyrod Taylor. The Texans are not a good team. The Titans without Derrick Henry aren't quite the same team. Unfortunately for them, they can't complement that very physical defensive line with the running game that they had because they simply don't have a backup running back capable of handling the ball 30 times or even 20 times in a game. Speaking of 30 times for a running back, the Bengals gave the ball to Joe Mixon 30 times, and they get a win over the Raiders. The Bengals, with Mixon, with their wide receivers of Jamar Chase, T. Higgins, Boyd, they're very good for Joe Burrow. They've got weapons for Joe Burrow. Their offensive line needs help, obviously, but they've got an opportunity to sneak into the playoffs, I think, that Jets game still is going to come back to haunt them. But if they sneak in, I don't think anybody wants to play that team in the playoffs. As for the Raiders, a couple of weeks ago we were talking about the Raiders not being the same old Raiders. And then Henry Ruggs decided it was a good idea to drive 155 miles an hour in a residential area. And then uh, I don't even re- want to bring up his name. Their other number one draft pick from last year, ends up posting videos on social media threatening to kill people. So they're both gone. Gruden's gone. This team is a mess. Derek Carr is Derek Carr. They've lost three in a row, and I think the slide now begins. And Mike Mayock, fortunately, was very good on TV. Hopefully he gets back on TV because he's not very good as a general manager. The Cowboys went to Kansas City and played the Chiefs, and You know, the Chiefs, the previous week, Mahomes had five touchdowns. They were fixed offensively. The Cowboys come in with an opportunistic defense. I won't say a good defense, but an opportunistic defense. But they're without a couple key players from that defense. So it was going to be interesting to me to see how did the Chiefs respond. Clyde Edwards-Alaire was back. They gave the ball to him quite a bit. They ran the ball effectively. The Cowboys' defense held the Chiefs to 19 points. If you would have told me that before the game, I would have said Cowboys win by four. I I really think that's a, a good job by the defense. But Chris Jones is the biggest difference maker on the Kansas City Chiefs' defense. He is a beast. And since they've moved him inside to D tackle, Chris Jones has been playing great football. And he dominated inside 
against the Cowboys. Three and a half sacks. He forced a fumble. He just did everything in that game. Chris Jones is somebody who, if he's still healthy for the rest of the year, this Chiefs team can go back to the Super Bowl because the defense is physical enough to get things done. Remember, he was out when the Bills played them earlier this year. A huge, huge part of that defense was missing. So keep that in mind. Here's the other thing for the Cowboys. They've got all these shiny new weapons. And I realize that they played without Amari Cooper, who's got a COVID issue. C.D. Lamb was concussed at the end of the first half. He wasn't there. But you still have Ezekiel Elliott and Tony Pollard. Zeke somehow did not break his leg on a play in the second half. That was scary. They have one issue. They have more than one issue. But their biggest issue is Tyron Smith. Tyron Smith's going to go to the Hall of Fame, I believe, one day. He is a phenomenal left tackle. He's getting a little longer in the tooth. But I want to throw this at you. In Tyron Smith's career, since he's been a day one starter at left tackle, and I think he came in at like 21 years old out of USC, the Cowboys are 14 and 15 without him. They don't win without Tyron Smith. Now, Steele, who had been playing right tackle, was moved to left tackle, and he's okay. He's not very good, but he's okay. Leal Collins, who was a normal right tackle starter, has been back at right tackle, and he's pretty good there. But Tyron Smith is such an advantage for the Cowboys. When they draw plays, they don't have to help him. They don't have to chip. They have to totally redesign what they do when that guy isn't in there. He's an absolute stud, and I think his absence is making people realize how great this guy has been for a long, long time. And I do believe he's going to be a Hall of Famer and should be a Hall of Famer at the end of his great career. Arizona beat Seattle 23-13. to Remember when I talked about Baker Mayfield and I said sometimes you just know the divorce is imminent, it's time to break up, you got to move on? Feels that way in Seattle with Russell Wilson as well. They are just not a very good offensive football team. Russell threw for 207 yards, was sacked four times by Arizona's defense. Arizona playing again without Kyler Murray gets another win. Look, whatever's going on in Seattle with Pete Carroll, with Russell Wilson, there was a lot of talk this offseason. I don't know where Wilson goes. I don't know how much gas is left in that tank. But somebody's going to get a pretty good quarterback next year. And if the Pittsburgh Steelers get Russell Wilson somehow, watch out for that. Because the Steelers are literally, in my opinion, a quarterback and one more offensive lineman away from being one of the best teams in the NFL. Speaking of the Steelers, we call that a segue in the business. They played a great game on Sunday night against the Chargers. It was a great game because it was highly entertaining. The Steelers were were scoring... Ben Roethlisberger looked really good. The offensive line did enough against the Chargers. But the Chargers have a guy, Justin Herbert, who's so much fun to watch. Look, I'm not one of these people that Herbert's the best quarterback in the league. Herbert's this. Stop. The young man's in his second year. But what I love about this kid is he doesn't seem to get rattled. He can make every throw needed to be made. He's got an absolute cannon. 
but he's also athletic enough and smart enough to not take hits. He had 90 yards rushing in the game and probably slid and cost himself another 15 or 20. He was He's so cognizant of not getting hit, he'll pick up a first down, slide down shortly after it, four yards from anybody being able to contact him. He's a smart player. Oh, yeah, he also threw for like 382 and three touchdowns and had some drops in this game. It should have been about 420, and he should have ran for about 110. It was a phenomenal game to watch. It was a lot of fun. The Chargers playing in SoFi Stadium looked like they were playing in Heinz Field because all the terrible towels and the Steeler fans Look, that stadium's beautiful, and when the Rams play there, it's a good home field. But the Chargers, nobody in L.A. cares about the Chargers. I, I give it five years before they're back in San Diego with a new stadium. Mark my words. They're not going to be in L.A. long term. Tampa beat the Giants last night. Brady was okay, but my takeaway was this. Daniel Jones isn't the guy. Joe Judge isn't the guy. Jason Garrett sure as hell isn't the guy as an offensive coordinator. And Dave Gettleman's got to go. The Giants are an absolute mess. They had Saquon Barkley back. Six carries, 25 yards. What? Why are you giving Saquon Barkley the ball only six times? Run this guy. It's unbelievable how badly run the Giants are. And Daniel Jones... I, I laughed at when I thought of this last night. Daniel Jones, 23 of 38, 167, had a touchdown to Andrew Thomas, who's an offensive tackle, and threw two interceptions that were just terrible interceptions. When I had my radio show, I remember a caller who thought he knew more than absolutely anyone else who ever watched football. He thought he was smarter than Vince Lombardi. I remember him ranting and raving about how Josh Allen was never going to be an NFL quarterback and that Daniel Jones was far superior to Josh Allen in every single way. And here we are a couple years later. Daniel Jones is going to be a career backup in the league and Josh Allen is going to be a starter for the next decade in Buffalo. Yeah, good to see that one worked out right. He got banned from my show for that take. Not for that take, for arguing with me about that take and the way he argued with me. A couple other things before we leave the NFL. A couple big things going on. Cowboys-Chiefs game. There was a play in the second half of the game. The Cowboys had punted to the Chiefs. The gunner on the outside grabbed the Chiefs player's face mask right near the Cowboys bench, and pulled him down. The Chiefs player gets up, taunts, yells, whatever you want to call it. Chiefs player gets a 15-yard penalty. Now, on replay, it's very clear why the Chiefs player reacted the way he did to the play. Very clear. However, the officials on the field called only the reaction, not the reason for the reaction. Happens quite often. They missed the face mask. New York got in the the officials' ears. They huddled, and after a minute or so, came out and decided that they were offsetting personal fouls and the play would stand. 
that is against the officiating rules. It can't happen. It's funny because Fox Broadcasting the Game, Mike Pereira, talked about how they cannot call in and pick up a penalty. What the Sky Judge is meant to do, and the Sky Judge is something the NFL has not gone for. That's another official in the booth watching video can make a call on the field, can radio down, hey, he was inbounds, out of bounds, save replay, keep the game moving. That's the theory of a Sky Judge. He's another official. The NFL has not adopted that for some reason. I have no idea why. But they have allowed New York to do certain things, to overturn certain plays, inbounds, out of bounds, fumble, not fumble. They've done that proactively. Now, it's not a sky judge. It's just people in New York watching TV, seeing things, and calling it. What they cannot do is call a penalty after the fact. They did that on Sunday. And nobody's really talking about this, but it goes against every part of officiating protocol that's out there. That's a terrible precedent because if you do it once, do it all the time. And if you can't do it, then you shouldn't even do it once. Yes, this was getting it right. And I'm all for getting it right. But if you're going to do that, use the sky judge and get it right all the time. It was a awful, awful thing to happen in a game because of the long-term ramifications. Thursday, we're going to be watching football. We're going to go, hey, how come they don't call in for that obvious hold? They called in for the obvious penalty of the face mask last week. Why not for the hold this week? There's so much wrong with this, and it's a precedent that's now been set. And the NFL better be very, very careful how they go forward with this. Put the sky judge in. Get things right. If not, stay the hell out of the officials' ears on the field and let them officiate the game as they see fit. It may be bad, but you know what? At least it's consistent with the process, and that's as important as anything else. Secondly, big story out there that not many people are talking about. A couple years ago, Stan Kroenke, the owner of the L.A. Rams, decided he was going to move the Rams from St. Louis to L.A., build SoFi Stadium, which we showed, beautiful new stadium. They're going to have a Super Bowl there. Well, he broke the lease, and he's being sued by the city of St. Louis. And this is a big-time lawsuit. The city of St. Louis wants billions with a B in money back. Stan Kroenke has fought this Time and time again. It's likely to be settled, now hold, very shortly. And the settled may only be part of it because it may still go to trial. Well, how can a lawsuit be settled and go to trial? Stan Kroenke's very likely to settle with the city of St. Louis. And when he does, he will likely pay them four to $500 million. That's a big check. Don't worry, Stan's good for it. He's got a lot of money. So four or five hundred million, no problem. Here you go. Here's the story though. If Kroenke settles, which is likely to happen, the lawsuit from the city of St. Louis against the other 31 owners in the NFL still goes forward. And Kroenke now, essentially because he settled, 
is going to become a witness against the NFL, which will allow the city of St. Louis to likely win the other lawsuit. So because Stan Kroenke moved to L.A. and built that situation or that stadium in L.A. and created this situation, he's now going to cost all of his fellow owners somewhere in the neighborhood of two to $300 million. Think Stan Kroenke's pretty uh, happy? No. You know why? Because he's got zero allies now in the league. Jerry Jones was one of his big allies. Robert Kraft. Those guys are power brokers when it comes to the NFL. Yeah, not going to be a very good situation going forward for Stan Kroenke. The rest of the owners, though, are going to have to pony up. Again, this is a big, big deal and going to cost a lot of money for a lot of people. Keep your eye on that going forward. Because, again, if Kroenke settles the way it looks like he may, the rest of the owners are going to be on the hook in a big way. And that is not going to make 31 other teams very happy. College football. Playoff rankings come out tonight. This past weekend, Oregon gets beat by Utah, which... Everyone should have known that was going to happen because Utah was favored at home. So Oregon's now out of the playoff. They're not going to be in. Georgia, still number one. Georgia's the best team in college football. They're going to get in. They play Georgia Tech this weekend in their final tune-up before the SEC championship game. They'll likely play Alabama in the championship game. Now, Alabama has to get by Auburn this week. They should do that. But I don't believe they're going to beat Georgia. So keep your eye on that. Ohio State is coming off a huge win against Michigan State. They kicked the crap out of Michigan State last week. I think Ohio State moves ahead of Alabama to the second spot this week in the college football rankings. Ohio State plays at Michigan. Going to be a tough game, but Ohio State should win that. So you've got a two-loss Alabama team with... The possibility of getting in. You're going to have Ohio State in. You're going to have Georgia in. Now it comes down to Cincinnati, who had their best win of the season last week against SMU. Cincinnati finishes up at East Carolina. They should win that. Cincinnati, undefeated, will get in. Now who's the last team? I said Michigan, who's going to be number five this week because they're going to move ahead of Oregon. Michigan plays Ohio State. They're going to lose. That's a two-loss team for them. So you've got Notre Dame, who's seventh on that list. He, they're going to be sixth tonight. They play at Stanford to finish up their season. Don't have a bowl. Don't have the league championship game. They go against a three and eight Stanford team. David Shaw, who's a great college coach. It's his worst team in years. So ND should walk over Stanford there to, to end their season with having only one loss to Cincinnati. So now your choices are this. Georgia and Ohio State in. Cincinnati undefeated in. Two-loss Alabama team. Two-loss Michigan team. Or a one-loss Notre Dame team. Notre Dame's in. Been telling you it for weeks. It's playing out just as I've said. Notre Dame will get in the playoff. Little NBA. LeBron James is not a dirty player. LeBron James is a dick. Don't get me wrong. He is a sellout to money. He is China's 
puppet. He will do anything for China because he realizes how much money he makes over there. Called out by Enos Cantor. He didn't like that very much. Well, Enos Cantor knows a few things about human rights violations growing up where he did. He's actually a war criminal in his homeland and not allowed to go back there because if he does, he'll face imprisonment or worse. So Enos Cantor calling out LeBron about his support for China. LeBron didn't like that. But on Sunday, LeBron decided he didn't like something else. And that was being physicaled by Rochester's own Isaiah Stewart. Isaiah Stewart's a bad man. This this young man, first off, he's a great kid. Isaiah, anyone who knows Isaiah and a lot of people in the city do know Isaiah. He is a great kid. He is a strong, physical, throwback NBA player. I heard his name mentioned by Reggie Miller the other day as being compared to guys like Charles Oakley. Yeah, and that's the style of player that Detroit got when they drafted Isaiah Stewart. The two players were lined up on the free throw line on Sunday. Isaiah, correctly, goes into LeBron on the free throw that's coming off as a rebound. LeBron didn't like it. LeBron doesn't like being physical. He, he As physical as he is, there's a reason he never developed a low post game. He doesn't like the contact. He's just not about that. LeBron turned and threw an elbow, punch, whatever you want to call it, drilled Isaiah Stewart in the face and opened up a gash that required eight stitches to heal. And Isaiah lost his damn mind and wanted a piece of LeBron. And you know who didn't want a piece of anything? LeBron. LeBron was not anywhere interested in being any part of this altercation. And if Isaiah had gotten his hands on LeBron, he would have kicked the shit out of him. And and it wouldn't even been close. But LeBron knew better. He hid behind his teammates. Isaiah, he made a fool of himself a little bit. He tried to get after LeBron. Kept breaking free of people trying to get at him. He even went back to the tunnel and tried to get at him that way. Look, Isaiah Stewart is a great kid. And we here in Rochester know him and know the person he is. The rest of the world doesn't even know who Isaiah Stewart is because nobody outside of Detroit pays attention to Detroit Pistons basketball. It's just not an interesting story. But now they do. And here's where it's a good thing. Isaiah Stewart's got a reputation now. And within the league, it's a reputation of, don't mess with that dude. He'll come at you. It's exactly what you want. Exactly what you want. This is a bad moment, and it'll be shown forever when anyone talks about Isaiah Stewart. But the good side is, the players are going to know Isaiah's that guy, and they're going to be leery of being extra physical with him because of that. Because they know if you set him off, look what you're going to get. Isaiah Stewart had the worst moment of his career. It's only been a year and a quarter. But it was the worst moment of his career Sunday. Guess what? It's going to long-term be the best moment. Because he'll work harder. He'll be a person who develops his game more. And because of this, guys are going to be a little less physical with him 
going forward. They're not going to want any piece of that. So while it's the worst moment of his career, I do believe it's going to be a positive long term. And LeBron's a dick. So it is what it is. Major League Baseball, I got to get to this. The New York Mets hired Donnie Epler to be their GM. Stories after Syndergaard signed with the Angels came out that the Mets didn't contact him after extending the qualifying offer, didn't keep track of who he was talking to. They just assumed he'd take the offer and move on. Well, now they've also lost Aaron Loop. You may not know that name, but if you're a Mets fan, you certainly do. Aaron Loop's a left-handed relief pitcher. He was dominant this past season. His, His ERA for the season was below one. He was as lights out of a reliever as you can find. And a lefty. He's now in L.A. with the Angels. The Mets not having a GM in place for this entire time have taken them out of the possibility of getting things done prior to the lockout that's coming. The lockout is coming. And some teams are getting work done before the lockout. Not the Mets. They're trying to figure out their structure of their organization. Sandy Alderson has dropped the ball on this one in a big, big way. Steve Cohen put his faith in Sandy Alderson to run the baseball side of things. It's not been good. It's been a bad start to a situation. Keep an eye on how things go from here. But nothing good has happened to the Mets since Steve Cohen bought the team. And I'm going to include the trade for Francisco Lindor. I, I think that's going to end up being a bad thing as well. As for the Yankees, they need a shortstop. There are several shortstops available. Word is the Yankees are not willing to spend that kind of money for that position because they've got two of their best prospects coming up through as shortstops. So they don't want a long-term contract to block their players. My question is this. Other than Aaron Judge, who in recent years have the Yankees developed that's come up and been good consistently? We saw flashes from Gary Sanchez, but now we know what he is. Glaber Torres has fallen off the table. They DFA'd Clint Frazier this week. Who have they developed that's been a sustainable player for them? Brian Cashman is a guy who's going to work for the Yankees as long as he wants, in my opinion. But who have they really developed? There's a problem there. And I don't know where they're going to fix it, but this is going to be a missed opportunity, in my opinion, for the Yankees. They don't want to spend $300 million on the shortstop. They're more likely to sign Judge to a long-term deal. You're the New York Yankees. Do both. Keep Judge and sign a shortstop. Fix your team. You make enough money. College basketball is, this is a great week. If you're a college basketball fan, this is like the coming out party for the season. Because there are games on all day, each of the next few days. I was up late last night watching St. Mary's play against, actually I don't even remember who it was that they were playing. Oh, Notre Dame. And and St. Mary's beat Notre Dame in that game. Sarunas Marcelonis kid plays for St. Mary's, by the way. That was a throwback. It was one of those players that, you, if you know who I'm talking about, that was a bad man back in the day with the Warriors. But today, 
there's games all day. Tomorrow, the battle for Atlantis goes on, and that involves Syracuse University. Syracuse goes into that game at 2-1, and one, the game against VCU tomorrow at 5 o'clock. The 2-1 and one are because they lost Colgate by 15. 100-85, Colgate beat Syracuse. First time Colgate's beat Syracuse since 1962. That's older than me. I'm ancient. That can't happen. How do you lose to freaking Colgate? Oh, you want something better? Syracuse started out up 17-2. to They were outscored by 30 the rest of the way. Unbelievable. And in that game, Colgate was 18-43 from three. Syracuse defense wasn't very good, and I'm being kind. Colgate also out-rebounded the Orange 44-34. Yeah, Colgate out-rebounded Syracuse by 10. You knew that was going to be a problem, and I've talked about it every time I brought up Syracuse, that the rebounding is going to be an issue this year. But you can't get out-rebounded by Colgate. Look, Respect to Colgate. They're, they're a good mid-major team. They have no business beating Syracuse by 15. SU, I've said it many times, is going to live by the three die by the three. Saturday, they died by the three. They were 7 of 23 from three-point range in that game. 7 of 23, which 30% isn't horrific from three. It's just not good. But let me throw this at you. Other than Joe Girard, who had a very good game, Girard had 27 points, 8 assists, 7 rebounds, 5 of 8 from 3. Girard's now 10 of 13 from 3 on the season. Bayheim said he was the most improved player this year. So far, it's looked like that's the case. But you take Girard's 5 for 8 out of their 3-point shooting, the rest of the team was 2 for 15. It can't happen like that. You can't win basketball games if guys like Buddy Bayheim and Cole Swider are not making threes. They've got to make threes to, for Syracuse to win. So we'll see how things go down in the battle for Atlantis. Doesn't get much easier after that either. They've got the Big Ten Challenge coming up the following week, and then the following week they play Villanova. This is not your typical Jim Bayheim cupcake schedule. Well, Syracuse struggles, by the way. I'd like to point this out. And as a Niagara alum, it's a little more difficult for me to say. But St. Bonaventure, who won a huge weekend tournament last weekend down in Charleston, the, the final game blowing out Marquette. A really good win for Schmidt's team. His team is now 16th in the country. Best college basketball team in New York State? is not in Syracuse. It's located about an hour and 45 minutes southwest of here in Olean, New York. Yeah. And don't forget this. Osun, the Bonaventure big man, if you don't know about him, you haven't watched him because if you watched him, you're like, wow, that kid can really play. Don't forget that Mark Schmidt out-recruited Jim Beheim to get him. Syracuse wanted him. Bonaventure got him. That was a shot across the bow many years ago. And now the fact that they're 16th in the country, Syracuse is unranked, best basketball team in New York State, is down south, only in New York. Keep it up, Bonas. I'll keep giving you love, even though I don't love you at all.
That's it for this week. Have a great Thanksgiving, everybody. Thanks for listening. I'm Carl Falk. This is the Falcon Around Podcast.